I'm Pastor Reg. I'm going to read the scripture this morning. Psalm 2 is our scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can open those. It's also on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Thus says the Lord. Our question today is, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Is our nation raging right now? Listen to what Tony Dungy says. Tony Dungy is a man whom I have respected for a long time. And I know being in Indiana, uh, you are most likely well acquainted with him. He is a, a very good man. I want to read this as we begin to set the, set the stage for our time together today. Former NFL coach Tony Dungy has many accomplishments in his long career, including being the first African-American co head coach to win a Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts in 2007. His words and his faith at this troubling time in America should hold as much weight as his coaching success. Here is Coach Dungy's message. As I have watched the events in Minneapolis unfold in the last few days, I have wondered and prayed about how I should respond. Below are my thoughts. I hope you read the whole thing because the final thought is the most important, Romans 12, 21. America is in a very sad place today. We have seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the very people who are supposed to be protecting our citizens. We have seen people protest this death by destroying property and dreams of people in their own community, the very people they are protesting for. We have many people pointing fingers of blame, painting the opposite side with a broad brush. We have anger and bitterness winning out over logic and reason. We have distrust and prejudice winning out over love and respect. What happened to George Floyd was inexcusable and it should never happen. Justice needs to be served but in seeking justice, we can't fall into the trap of prejudging every police officer we see. What started out as peaceful protests have devolved into arson and looting, and that should never happen either. Yes, there should be protest, but we do not have license to perform criminal acts while, because we're angry. Today, we are a divided country. We're divided racially, politically, and socioeconomically. And Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. Well, what is the answer then? 
I believe it has to start with those of us who claim to be Christians. We have to come to the forefront and demonstrate the qualities of the one we claim to follow, Jesus Christ. We can't be silent. As Dr. King said many years ago, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But we can't go forward with judgmental, bitter spirits. We need to be proactive, but do it in the spirit of trying to help make things better. And it can't just be the African-American churches. It has to be all churches taking a stand and saying, we are going to be on the forefront of meaningful dialogue and meaningful change. We have to be willing to speak the truth in love, but we have to recognize that we are not fighting against other people. We are fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. In the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, good morning, church. We who have been called by a good man to make change in the world, but more than that, we who have been saved for, from our sin and called by a great king to make change in the world. This is why he's called us out of the world. And that's our focus today. We're in, the, in week three of our series in the book of Psalms called Seasons of Renewal, walking with God in the Psalms. And the Holy Spirit arranged this passage for this week sovereignly. I did not. He led us to a perfect place in Scripture for today, in Psalm chapter 2. There are Bibles available in the Connections counter if, uh, if you just wish you had one and don't have an app or anything. Um, feel free. There's plenty of room in the aisles with our social distancing to grab one. But I'm going to begin with a weekly feature that I started last week called About the Psalms. I'm going to begin each one of these messages with uh, this little short feature. I'm really excited about all the things that I'm learning and that we can learn about interpreting the Psalms because the Psalms are ancient Hebrew poetry. And guess what? Nobody in this room is an ancient Hebrew poet. I can look around and tell that. You're not 3,000 years old. So, about the Psalms, we're learning a little bit more as we go over the next several weeks. And this week, something very important to know in order to understand the Psalms as we read them is that there are different types of Psalms. Did you know that? Now you do. There are different types of Psalms. It's important to distinguish the different types of writing in the Bible. They're called genres, different types of writing. There are many different types in the Bible. And it's important to know uh, those different the difference is because you don't interpret them all the same. Okay, for instance, if I was to look at some of your old writings, if I was to take one of your term papers that you wrote in school, okay, and take also your first love letter to your first romantic interest, and a letter to your grandma, okay, if I was to interpret all those the same, it would be really weird, wouldn't it? It would. And deceiving as well. And so it's important to understand the different literary types and interpret them appropriately to understand, to understand what you're reading. So what kind of psalms are there? Here's a list. There are hymns, laments. Laments are reaching a point where you're crying out to God. And we'll be tackling one of those when we get to Psalm 27. There are songs of praise, of thanksgiving, penitential psalms, that's expressing sorrow, Confidence psalms, and we'll have one of those when we get to Psalm 16. Pilgrim psalms, wisdom psalms, 
imprecatory psalms. That's the desire for vindication from persecutions that you've faced. Liturgical psalms, that's guide to worship. And messianic psalms about the coming Christ, Jesus. And royal psalms, which our psalm today is. Today's psalm, Psalm 2, is a royal coronation messianic psalm. That simply means it's about kings. It's about King David, and it's about King Jesus. That's what we have today. Not every psalm is connected with each other, but Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are connected. In fact, many believe that they were at one time one literary unit that over the years, over the centuries, got divided into two. And they go together. Listen to how they're connected. Last week, if you were here, you heard Psalm 1, in which God gave us the way to happiness, which we said was what our soul longs for more than anything else, is to be happy. And God showed us the way to happiness. It's to follow him. And he'll lead us there, and him alone. That now is followed by Psalm 2, which points out that there are many in the world who just won't do it. They just won't follow God. They will choose their own ways and not follow God. Rather than delighting in God's law, they will defy it. It's just reality. And these two psalms together, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, set the tone for all of the rest of the 150 psalms and for all of the rest of Scripture and for all of the rest of your life and my life, the human existence. There is this battle. There is this choice between following God to happiness and raging against God, defying him, trying to find that somewhere else. That battle continues today. People constantly rebel against God and seek our our will, our pleasures, our agendas, our anger, our biases. And as a result of that, you have what we have today and always have. You have war. You have poverty. You have disrespect. You have divisions. You have chaos. You have racism. And you have sin of every kind. The nations choose sin and rage over God, and God sits in judgment. But he calls us to be the change in the world. This is why he has saved us and called us out of the world. And I've been so proud of how Community Grace has responded over the last eight or nine days, and even the last two months before that, as 2020 has been a wild year. I've seen your post, I've seen your maturity, I've seen your response. There's just so many things that this church and other churches are doing that will never make the news, but they're out there. And I just want to celebrate that and thank you for everything that you're doing. And obviously we want to continue to do even more. And that's what God is bringing to us through Psalm 2 today. Things have been brought to the surface that need to be changed. Okay, and we can't have our heads in the sand. We can't. So let's listen to him today as he speaks through Psalm chapter 2. And what we're going to find in these four stanzas of Psalm 2, this poem, is we're going to find three lessons of truth and action for us today. Three lessons of truth and action. The first of these lessons that David wants us to know as he pens this poem 
in the first stanza, verses one through four, the first lesson of truth and action today is for us to see why we hate the king. Verses one through three, again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want God. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? We have the double concern right now of COVID-19 and racial tensions in this country. And I'm certainly going to address those things in the context of Scripture. But let's back up and observe that nations have always been raging. Nations are always raging. People are always plotting against God. Last year we could have been talking about, you know, if if, if we had been preaching this through this text last year, we could have been talking about conflicts all over the world, in Syria, in Afghanistan, or Sudan, or between Ukraine and Russia, or in the years before that, ISIS, which sprang out of Al-Qaeda, or the unrest in Venezuela, on and on and on. I just read yesterday that More attacks in Nigeria against Christians. Nigeria is an amazing place, 50% Muslim, 50% Christian, and they battle physically, sadly, a lot. We could go on and on. There's unrest all over the world. The nations are raging. Or the divide in our own country every four years during election time. A longtime missionary friend of mine said, you know, missionaries, when they're, when they're in their field in, in hostile places against Christianity, they, they know that, they learn that the greatest church growth strategies, this is something Americans don't like to hear, but the greatest church growth strategies are persecution, martyrdom, and crisis. The people's plot in vain, the nation's rage, God works his purposes through them, and he does so through us. This text, Psalm 2, will always be relevant because until the Lord Jesus returns, there's always going to be sin. There's always going to be sin in humans' hearts like pride and xenophobia and anger and hatred and revenge and manipulation and control. There's hunger for power inside the human hearts. And until Jesus comes, that sin will always be there before he returns physically as king to set up his kingdom on earth. There is only one answer that removes all of those sins that cause all the problems. There's only one thing that removes those sins from the human hearts, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. We know the answer. We have the answer. And that's the power that we have to make change in the world that works. So let's look deeper into these verses. Verse 1 asks, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? There goes the Hebrew poetry again. Remember, we've talked about this. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme like American poetry does at the end of every line. What it does is instead it has parallelism and repetition to further 
a thought or an emotion or a point. So here David says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And this is so rich here. Notice these two words, nations and peoples. God is thorough here addressing his audience through David's poetic repetition to cover both nations like Israel or like the United States of America, that kind of nation, but also the peoples, which means all kinds of people groups, tribal groups, any group that conforms to, to its own identity. God covers them all. He's speaking to them all right now in Psalm 2. Then in, in verses 2 and 3, you have the kings and the rulers. This is interesting as, as Americans. We don't have kings and royal families here, but humans are enamored with royalty, though. I mean, why do I have to see what's going on with the England royal family every time I check out at the grocery store, right? Why do I need to see that? Why do I, I don't care about that. But it's there all the time because we're just enamored with royalty. So there's no royal line in America. So what do we do? What we do is we take billionaires, politicians, athletes, media stars, fictional superheroes, or even criminals, and we elevate them to king status. Why do we do that? It's because humans have a soul that that knows there's a God, that longs to know that God, that longs to know its creator. So we give ourselves over to these charismatic leaders who, who abuse us or mislead us or who wouldn't even like us if they knew us. We revere them and hold them up because we humans know there is a greater power and we are built by him to know him and serve him and worship him. That is God, to adore him. And we can know him because God has revealed himself to us over and over and over again. And I want to encourage everyone who's listening or here or watching, stop running from God. His arms are open to you. But humans still prefer the kings of this earth. And the kings of the earth, hey, they love the attention, right? They love the power, the wealth, the control, the pride. So verses 2 and 3 say they conspire against the Lord and his anointed King Jesus. And the nations rage and the peoples rage and wars are fought. Whether that's wars with missiles and guns or whether that's just wars in your own family. Whether it's wars by propaganda like we see in social media or through a steady diet of CNN or Fox News. There are wars and divisions all the time. The kings of this earth conspire against the Lord and, and, and his anointed King Jesus. And this happens in our personal levels as well. Where we all want to be kings of our own little universes as well. This is what's inside of our hearts, and we need to, to identify that and be aware of that. And leads us to say in verse 3, let us break apart this grip that God has on us and be our own kings. This is what's in your heart. And we can give that over to God. His desires for independence and victory or control over others or to win the argument or to be right, it just it motivates us and it motivates our culture more and more in America as we, as we move farther and farther away from God. And we see the effects. The chaotic effects. This is why the nations rage. And there's so much division. 
David wants us to see this. So that's his first point. He wants us to see why we hate the king. But Jesus is the answer. And I'll just say that again. Because Why? Because Jesus is the king of peace. And his gospel is the gospel of peace. He is the answer. So now as we move on to the next stanza in the psalm, now we have God's reaction. God's reaction. Remember how awesome God is. God's reaction to the kings and the peoples who don't want him, who rebel against him. And while David's poetry here in these next two stanzas articulates God's awesomeness and his righteousness so amazingly. Let's look. Verses 4 through 9, our second point as we look at these verses is for us that we can rejoice that we have a great king. We can rejoice that we have such a great king. Verses 4 through 9 give us reason to absolutely, fully, 100% rejoice in our great king, King Jesus. All right, let's learn about him from a thousand years before he left heaven and became the man who was God, Jesus. This is what the prophecies tell us right here in Psalm 2. Two reasons why we can rejoice that we have such a great king. First is because the Almighty Father God anoints this king, anoints King Jesus. Of all the kings that we are to look up and adore and be led by, Jesus is the only one that was anointed by God, the Almighty Father, as the king of the universe. So this is our king. And we see here that regardless of the people's uproar against him, God is untroubled because he's God. That's unlike some easily offended rulers that we have. So here's God, verses 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Closely at these verses. Verse 4, we have God's reaction to these little kings that run our nations in the world, whose rebellions cause raging. These little kings that shake their fists at him and want to destroy other people. We rebel, and God laughs at the rebellion. This is the same kind of laughter, not because it doesn't matter, but it's the same kind of laughter that we might laugh at if we saw a mouse trying, attack, trying to attack an elephant. Right? That would be funny. Like, come on, I'll take you on. I know you're imagining that right now, and it's kind of funny. This incongruity between sides, I mean, it, it just makes us laugh. That's what God sees when he sees the nations trying to rebel against him. Hmm. But God's reaction is more than just laughter. Verse 5, God rebukes them in his holy wrath, and he terrifies them in his fury. That's bringing never-ending distress to their lives, which leads people to either repentance and, and acknowledging that you are the greater king, or it leads people to continue to rebelling and lead them to judgment. Let that thought hang in your minds as you consider your sin. As God tries to get your attention and there's distress in your life, is it going to lead you to repentance and turning to him 
or further rebellion and pride and judgment. And in verse 6, the father installs his king. This is the coronation psalm. He puts his king into place. God proclaims his son's kingship over all the universe. Sometimes the world thinks of Jesus as a little baby, okay, at Christmas time, or as a nice guy, or as a cuss word. But those are dangerous to think of this king of kings over all the universe in those terms. Or Christians sometimes just think of Jesus as crucified and risen again and kind of just hanging out. We need to know Jesus for who he is, the king of all the universe. Open your Bibles and read this all throughout. He is greater than all. We just preached through Colossians. Christ is greater than all. He is the Father's anointed over all that exists. That's Jesus. So we rejoice that he's our king and that we have such a great king. And next we rejoice, verses 7 through 9, because what the Father decrees, Jesus will do. And he will do it. And we're on his side. Let's get to know Jesus, the King of Kings, even better in verses 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. We're getting a picture of the heavens here. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel that's when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is what he means. God makes his decree. He starts by identifying his son. And David knew him as he wrote these words. He knew God's son as the coming Messiah. And indeed, he came 1,000 years later. 2,000 years ago from when we're living now. We know him now as Jesus, the Christ and the King. And in verse 8 is something that, that assures us. And that is that the son's inheritance includes all nations and all peoples to the end of the earth. Everything is his, under his power. So if we believe in him, then we know, we have the assurance, that we are the beloved of the king of the universe. That's assuring to us. Man, that's really, that's really cool. That is the assurance that the world needs. I want to belong to him, be in his kingdom. And verse 9 is here to point out that God's rule is more than mercy. It is also judgment. Throughout the Old Testament, pagan nations who rejected their chances to turn to God, they crumbled. None of them are around anymore. In the nation of Israel, we read the Old Testament, and it's just amazing how many times the nation of Israel turns their back on God, right, and crumbles. And then they turn and repent, and God restores them, and then they turn their back and crumble Again, in modern empires, the same thing happens. Modern empires like France and Spain and England dissolved quickly when they returned from God more recently. Those empires crumbled. In fact, sociologists talk about the cycle of empires. And Chuck Swindoll explains it in most clear terms from what I've read. The cycle of every empire in history goes like this. From bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from great courage to strength, from strength to liberty, from liberty to abundance, 
from abundance to leisure, from leisure to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependency, from dependency to weakness, from weakness back to bondage. How about America? What trajectory are we on as a nation? You know, I try to teach my kids about American history and kind of what's going on in the world. They don't know, you know. They're just entering this whole thing. And so we talk about American history and where America is now and what the future might look like and how we need to respond and the change we need to make and what we need to give our lives, our attention and our time to. So we just need to explain, this is where America is. Let's just be real. We have multiplied sin upon sin. We have removed God from schools. We have removed God from our culture. We have murdered babies, 3,000 every day in this country. The blood cries out to God. We've redefined marriage. We've elevated sins of all kinds so that they're values. We've elevated pagan practices of all kinds. How much is God expected to take? He's trying to get our attention And he's trying to get our attention in his mercy. His judgment will come if it needs to. We're prepared for that. Many Christians, many churches have lived in those days around the world and still do. And that's where we are as a nation right now. America is right now towards the end of the empire cycle. But Christians, we are called to be salt, which preserves and light which transforms. So we just need to wake up and follow God and lead the way to what needs to be done. Church in America, wake up. Church in Warsaw, each and every one of us. This is what we're called to be involved in. Our great king has called us to be salt and light in this world. And that brings us to the last stanza of this poem. Kings and leaders are told what to do next. Now, We need to recognize, recognize that we need to accept this king. And we're invited to. In view of who God is and who the anointed Jesus is, king of every nation, king of every tribe, of every person, of every people, of every household, how should the human race respond to God? Here's how he closes this psalm in verses 10 through 12. Now, therefore, O kings, Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. The final statement, blessed are all who take refuge in him. He invites kings, rulers, all of us, everybody, every human, to stop running from him to turn towards him. Kiss the sun. That's such an amazing statement. I just meditate on that. Kiss the sun. That's amazing in two ways. One, it's powerful. And two, it's personal. You can't get much more personal than a kiss. What's called for here is not a shallow and convenient Christianity that we settle for. It's what's called is an allegiance Kiss the sun and a love. Kiss the sun. 
God is good. This is his king, the anointed Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. Then that last line, that last line envelops the entire literary unit of Psalm 1 and 2. Remember, Psalm 1 started with a beatitude, and Psalm 2 ends with a beatitude, blessed or happy, as I defined the word blessed really means. Psalm 1, verse 1 from last week said, Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That leads to happiness. Psalm 2 ends with a beatitude. Happy are all who take refuge in him. You want the way to happiness? You got it. Will you take it? Will you follow the way? King Jesus doesn't oppress. He is a refuge. He doesn't oppress. He's a refuge. He doesn't make weary. He gives rest. Abundant life. Happiness. And look at the text. Your service to King Jesus is not bondage. Your service to King Jesus is freedom. Listen as I close. As Tony Dungy said, and as all believers need to continually say, the gospel is the answer to the world's problems. Because as world history has always demonstrated, when the gospel enters a tribe of cannibals, people stop eating each other. Got that? When the gospel enters an environment, it changes people. It changes things. It changes everything. It changes lives. And it, again, is the only thing that can remove the hate and the sin from human hearts. That's it. It's the only thing that can remove the hate and the sin from people's hearts is when Jesus takes that away. That's what we have. Finally, the gospel tears down barriers as well. One of my favorite texts, the whole book of Ephesians, but especially chapter 2 and especially verses 13 and 14, which say, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Now this is... Israelites and Gentiles who hated each other. He has made us he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We don't have to discover how to achieve racial reconciliation. Jesus has already accomplished it. It's a reality that we just have to step into and lead others into. Christ's death on the cross, his shed blood has broken down the dividing wall of hostility among people groups. And we see when people turn to Christ, peace and reconciliation. This is what the world is looking for. And we have it to give them. What does that look like? How do we give that to them? The Bible says it starts with prayer. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about God's plan. Constant prayer Constant words, constant actions. That's what we're called to do. I want to show you a short video of a church in Houston, Texas, in the neighborhood of where George Floyd lived before he moved to Minneapolis. This is a church doing some of the work that King Jesus has called us to do in this world. Let's watch this together. 
You brought the thunder and rain today, God. Because Satan takes a hell today. Father, in Jesus' name, you get the victory. Father, we ask for forgiveness from our black brothers and sisters for years and years of racism, of systematic racism, of bigotry, of hate. On behalf of the white race, the brown race, we stand in solidarity, God. We take a knee and salute to them. We honor them. God, we love them. You love them. Use us to make a difference. Raise up an army, God. An army from your kingdom that will take action, that will get involved, that will become friends, that will become allies, that will become neighbors, that will welcome them in our circles. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. I just ask that y'all would forgive us Just, just, that's just one moment, one action. That's what our lives need to be. Jesus has already torn down the dividing wall of hostility. That's for us to walk through, to lead people through, to bring to the world. It's what the world is seeking. Family of Community Grace and everyone watching or listening now, we can be that difference in our prayers and the actions that we take. It's going to look different for everybody. We can work on big systemic changes, but we need to focus on the small things too, the relationships, the discipleship, the work that God has given us to preach the gospel, to live the gospel generously and sacrificially, undistracted from the pleasures of the world. How much time do you spend on entertainment, on recreation, on pursuing and building our own kingdoms? Make this priority in your life through all of those things. God will show you the way. And I believe that he's, he's showing our church what he wants us to do in this time. Three next steps for you to take today, because we don't want to leave meeting in the word of God without some next steps. First one is believe in King Jesus and be redeemed. Redeems mean, redeemed means set free. Set free from judgment, from the bondage you have in sin. Jesus will take you all that away. Believe in him, and if you are ready to do that, you have a communication card, or you can talk to us after, afterward. You can do that right in your seat. Jesus has done the work, and if, if you're ready to trust him as your Savior, he is ready to make you alive right now and make you his own. And then be baptized next week as a proclamation of that. If you have believed in Jesus and have not been baptized, that is a calling that he's already given you as well. It's a clear command. It's a clear invitation for you to do that. Next week is a baptism service. We had a baptism class this morning that you missed, obviously, but that's okay. We will meet with you one-on-one and, and I invite you to be a part of that next Sunday. Uh, let's talk about that. Would you please write that on your communication card or send us a note? Go ahead and do it now if that's you right now. Don't, don't wait because you might forget. Second is to obey King Jesus. 
Obey King Jesus. Now, you could just hear that and say, yeah, okay. Listen to this. He gave us his great commission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's what we just talked about. That's happening next week. And teaching to obey all that I have commanded. This is the rest of our lives, to grow more and more in following Christ, to become like Christ, obey all that he is, has commanded. Always forgive. Always tell the truth. Never return evil for evil. Never. Never be bitter. Never be jealous. Never gossip. Never be racially prejudiced. On and on and on. All that he's told us. Bring life as we obey him. So if you say, I'll obey Jesus, you know, if it's good or if I want to or if it's popular or if it makes me happy, you haven't gotten it yet. Jesus isn't just a consultant to a better life. He's the king of the universe and he calls us to obey him and he tells us the truth. When we commit to that, he'll bring you happiness and fulfillment in your life's calling. So the next step is not just to obey King Jesus, it's to, it's to commit this in your heart right now. Tell him, go ahead and tell him in your prayers right now. <laughs> I'm going to obey you for the rest of my life. Call me and show me, guide me. This is a prayer. This is a time to commit your life to Christ right now. And then finally become or be part of a healthy church. Okay, not a wayward church. Don't be a part of a wayward church, one that doesn't preach the word of God or hold to its truth, or preach Jesus crucified. You don't have time for that. Not a weak church. It's not doing anything. You don't have time for that. Community Grace is committed to following King Jesus strongly. So join this church if you're looking for a church, or a church like it, that's strong. Let me tell you just a couple things that we have coming up. Again, they were in the announcements before, right before Sean jumped in the pool. Um, Next week, we're calling Connected Sunday. A lot of things are happening all in one time. This is a time for you to connect, become a new community, bring friends. Uh, we have the fellowship hall, plenty of room to bring friends, plenty of seats. And uh, next week is going to be the baptisms. And then the free lunch afterwards on or the Buller family. A sermon that's going to be relevant to everybody. And then that stage four back on from Governor Holcomb's back on track. Just, it's an exciting time. Next week, just come on and bring some friends. Uh, the world is interested in spiritual things right now. Just, just cast the net and see what the Holy Spirit does. Then, after next week, on Wednesday the 17th, uh, Sean and the youth group are going to host this event. But it's not just for the youth group. It's for the whole church and the community. It's a panel to talk about racial tensions. It'll be very constructive, I do believe. The, the panel keeps getting better and better. We have three confirmed right now. There they are. Benjamin's in this room. Gershom's not. John Shirk is one of our church's missionaries who's in the heart of inner city Chicago, has been since 2011. And I had an hour conversation with him this last week. And he has perspective hearing the explosions all around his house right now um, that you've got to hear. Uh, he's a gifted man, and it's going to be a great, great time. We have some other, other guests that are still, we're trying to confirm. Put that under your calendars, please, Wednesday night, the 17th. 
There's so much more to do, but let's just stop right now, pray, and sing and worship to our great King. Let's pray. Lord God, we've taken, well, first of all, thank you for this journey through Psalm 2 that you orchestrated, we've stepped into, and Lord, we've opened ourselves to your calling, your guidance, your correction, your sanctifying work in our lives, maybe our salvation. Lord, I pray that people will give their hearts and their lives to you today. And um, I just pray that you'll show this church the way you want us to go forward in this time so we don't waste it and fall under your judgment for that, Uh, but to share your glory with you and and to proclaim that in the nations, including this nation, right here, right now, right from Warsaw, Indiana, show us the difference in the world we can make. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us as we close? In the darkness we were waiting